This is Mark 10, 46 through 52 from the Common English Bible. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. They called the blind man, be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. The word of God for the people of God. All right, good morning all. Let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, for the grace that is in this space, for the grace that embodies your love and justice in our own hearts and minds, we give you thanks. For the spirit that has brought us together into this newly created space that has connected us beyond boundaries of geography, that has connected us from generations of relationships to ones that are brand new. We ask, oh God, that same spirit would throw open the doors of our hearts and minds this day to open us to the ways in which you may be calling us to follow you. We ask that you continue to challenge us and prompt us and push us and prod us into what you may be revealing before us so that our will may align with yours. We thank you for this gift of this day and for all that are gathered in this space. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. So I am, uh, if you're seeing a little box there, I'm coming to you from Southern California. This is a, you know, you've noticed this is a background. I'm actually sitting in a hotel room near, uh, near Claremont where my kids go to school. I have a few more uh, weekends where I can be away for a Sunday. And so I'm taking advantage of that. Got to watch my kid play soccer yesterday. We took 10 uh, college students out for dinner and got to see their lives as they're uh, fortunately uh, able to experience college in person um, this year. So um, anyway, so I'm, I'm in Southern California. I'm, I'm lifting up prayers for you all who are in the Bay Area. Um, we're hearing already a lot of stories about weather and things going on. So I hope you stay safe, make good choices about going out or not going out, driving all those kinds of things. Um, and we know, though, we come from a lot of different places. We come from a lot of different uh, communities, journeys, uh, perspectives, all of that um, in this community that gathers today. We may, um, in some ways, uh, you know, every community has its narrowly defined kind of understandings and beliefs with that, that we kind of hold ourselves in. But even within a community like ours that is generally um, socially progressive and theologically think forward thinking, all those, we still have a great amount of diversity within our community. And I think that's something to remember as we move forward, as we begin to think about who we are going to be in the future. Um, as you know, um, uh, you, I encourage you to be in the, in the chat um, for uh, if you have any questions. Your first question for today, though, is um, 
who do you think may be seeking a connection to the vine that are not now here? Like, who do you think out there is um, seeking some kind of connection to faith that isn't here already? Uh, over the next few months and into next year, I mean, one of the things that I know we talk about a lot and, and has been on my heart for my entire ministry uh, is about how the church and specifically churches that focus on justice and speak words of liberation and which strive to be part of movements for positive social change, all undergirded by our faith in Christ. That has always been at the heart of my upbringing, my faith tradition, the church I come out of, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Stockton, what we try to teach our kids, all of that. And I've always found, as I've said before, that those in that kind of ilk of thinking often seem to have an allergic reaction to evangelism, to the idea that what we believe needs to actually be shared. And I, I think it's because we don't want to be seen like those people, like those the other, you know, the, those who are telling a Christian story, a gospel that we reject and we just simply don't agree with, but tend to have have uh, have a, a stranglehold on the word evangelism. And I'm not asking you all to now start calling yourself evangelists or start thinking all that. What I'm what I am saying is that one of the ways that we need one of the things that we need to think about as a community is. Do we want more people to experience what we have experienced here? And not just in First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto, but those of us that have come from a more progressive tradition, wherever that may be, do we want people to experience that? And if the answer is yes, right? If the answer is no, we're good, there's that's been a time, and I don't that's that's one answer. If the answer is yes. It doesn't just happen, right? It doesn't just happen because we really want it to happen. It doesn't happen because we're just going to commit to each other to just try harder. It doesn't happen because, you know, we think we have a gospel worth telling. And so God's going to say, oh, that's a good one. So everybody's going to come to your church. Like that's, that's, that, that doesn't happen. We, we know that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen simply because we provide a program. It doesn't happen when you follow one, two, three steps and expect some return on investment or outcome. It happens because we deeply care about those who are seeking a connection to God. It happens because we don't think about ourselves. We don't think about just who we want God to be in our lives, what we need. We actually think about those who might be seeking a connection to the divine that maybe we still do in some ways, but maybe we've forgotten what it's like to have that be part of our world and our perspective for the first time. One of the gifts of being on the West Coast uh, for a church is um, something we also lament, right? I think sometimes we talk about people not going to church anymore, not being very religious, or we hear this phrase called spiritual but not religious, um, some, I think it's a patronizing, uh, we, we call them the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, that they have, there's no church background and all that. And there's a gift in that, uh, while we may, again, we may lament the fact that that's not a, not a cultural reality as much in our area as it may be in some geographic parts of the country, though that's even changing. But what we can't believe is that because folks aren't just naturally finding their way into our congregational homes, that there isn't a spiritual need and a spiritual reality out there. 
because as those of us that have served in these communities, I served in San Francisco for, you know, for 25 years, there is deep spirituality that is yearning for a connection of, to the divine. And one of the things that we have to understand and be humble about is that that is actually happening. And that there are places and people who are seeking to know how do I understand and navigate a world that seems completely overwhelming at times. Jeff lifted up a lot of situations in his opening prayer of all of the violence and destruction that's happening to communities of color that are happening to our to our, our creation, to our happening to institutions. It's all of these things. And people are seeking to know what that is. And they're finding it in places that are not always us. And I'm not saying that we have to be the one stop for everybody, but I do we know and believe that we can be one of the ways that people will address and connect to, to Christ and Christianity and this version of the gospel that we tell. There are people seeking, right? There are those of us that have been along the way and are part of this following, and we are going to follow Jesus into towns that and to places that he may not be welcome necessarily, and we we're gonna we're gonna be there. And there are also those who are outside of our group who are also seeking to follow this one called Jesus, who are seeking this thing that we understand that people have talked about. We know that people have said that there's new life. That we've said that he speaks power into the world. That he lives a life that is prayerful. That he speaks to people that, that society tells us we shouldn't, this one called Christ. I firmly believe, while you may doubt this, I firmly believe that when we tell the story of Jesus in the world in a way that comes from a perspective of empathy and love and justice, that people are yearning to hear that. We saw it in San Francisco in churches. When you baptize adults who come to faith for the first time, we're reminded every time that there is not just about our children. It's not just about uh, numbers, about baptism. It's about being relevant in the world in a way that speaks this gospel that we believe. Because I firmly believe that people are seeking a connection to the divine. So I wonder in your worlds, as you think about who do you think, right? Who are not, people who are not here, who might be seeking a connection to the divine? And why? I mean, I think this is an important question for all of us. And I think if you can't think of any, that's a challenge on us, right? If we are sitting in a space like, I don't know who's seeking a connection to the divine, then who are we going to tell the story to, right? Who are we going to tell the story of this generational DNA of justice that is that 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 goes through the veins of First Presbyterian Church, this, this generation that seeks wisdom with one another, this generation that continues to care for one another, this, this way that we uniquely hold this space in Palo Alto, yes, but in this area, who's going to tell that story and how, who are we going to tell it to if we can't even imagine people who may want to hear it? So what I want us to, to, to understand and claim as we move forward and think about our future is that there are people seeking the divine. You hear it talked about spiritual but not religious as a way that you're either one or the other. And I actually believe that you can be spiritual and religious and that they actually complement one another and give bounds and, and, and give structure and discipline to how we experience our spirituality. So that's the first thing I want to remember from this passage is that not only are the groups, but individuals are seeking. But here's the thing. 
And I could list off the number of ways that we do this, but we try to control access to God. We try to control access to the divine. A few of uh, a few weeks before I went out on, on COVID and was taken out for a couple of months, I preached a, a sermon about Lucille. Some of you will remember Lucille, a pillar of the church, and how I told her in my first years of ministry that these flowers that were so much part of her faith tradition and her discipline and patterns and life in the church and how she, the lens through which she experienced faith, that that she came into my office and told me that I that they were wrong. And my first response to her was, I don't care. And now I know some of you is from that sermon, uh, you were wondering, am I Lucille? Um, or you were like looking at people and going, no, you're Lucille. Or you like, or are you the person like me that was like, I don't care. You know, as much as that interaction did teach me about the importance of understandings, everybody's faith tradition and, and way they come into the faith, how it taught me and challenged me as a young pastor to not take for granted the journey that everybody had taken to the place that they are. One of the other things that it taught me is that while many of us who are in the church yearn to be cared for, yearn to have the church be a place that we find comfort, stability, that we find um, a place where we know community deeply, sometimes even in that, we are the ones that are telling entire generations of people that we don't care. When we begin to determine the ways in which people come to faith, especially when we believe that the way that we do it is the best way, the perspectives we have or the ways we engage, all of that, as soon as we start to say, the only way that you can do it is if we give you permission, that's when we become that crowd that saw a person on the side of the road who was genuinely and excitedly wanting to know this person, this, 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 this Jesus who he'd been hearing so much of and experienced the healing. And yet folks shouted him down and said, no, 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 no. Like we're the ones that were with him now. You are, you're like new and I don't, we don't care about what you need or want, but we're going to control that. And I think that sometimes we do that and we don't even know it. You know, what does it mean for us to hold on to things that are part of our church or our, our world that we really need to let go of because it's holding people back? Now, hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that anything goes. I'm not saying like I... I think that that's a danger that we we fall into very easily when we don't want to give up small things. We immediately will say, but if we give up this one thing, we're giving ever everything, right? If Bruce, if you're going to say that you know any belief is fine to come in here, then you're that that dilutes who we are as a justice seeking church. And that's not what I'm saying at all. First, I don't believe that I, I believe you can believe anything when you come into the space, but it doesn't mean you can behave in any way you want. But I do believe that. We need to open ourselves up to the ways in which new generations of Christians may actually want to experience the holy, when it may not be the way that we do. And I say that with deep compassion and empathy, because it is not easy to give up something that has given you life and has fed for so long. 
And not only that, it's not easy to do it with joy, right? It's not easy to do it in a way that says, oh, I actually welcome this in. So I think about all of the ways in which we we do things as the church and all of those things that, and I say we in the global we versus the, you know, us in, in, in particular, a first Presbyterian church, though we will get to that at some points in this process of learning about who we are. But I do think that sometimes inadvertently we hold people back from experiencing the Holy. I've told this story before, but I, I think this is one of my home church. I love my home church, Trinity Presbyterian Church, a historically Filipino congregation. It is a, um, an amazing community that raised me and my siblings and many, many generations to be thoughtful about social witness, to be uh, caring of those who have less than, to gather resources together to support one another. But we do this tradition at the end of our service at Trinity that is one of the ways that I think if I were to consult with them, I'd say, you got to figure out a way to do this differently because it holds you back. At the end of the service, we magically all know that we get up and get in a circle around the sanctuary, and we magically all know the words to Seek Ye First. And we magically all know that at one point, as we're singing Seek Ye First, we all lift our hands up. Now, if you were to watch it, you'd be like, that is really beautiful. But if you're new and you happen to wander in and you're like, I don't know, oh, everybody's getting up. I guess I'll get up. Uh-oh, everybody knows the words of this song or words of this prayer. Uh-oh, I don't know what to do. And now everybody's lifting up their hands. I guess I'll lift up my hands too. I mean, it's one of those things that we're reminding people that we have the keys to how to gain access to the divine. Now, as you think about things at First Presbyterian Church, and again, I'm not going to name them and I'm not going to list them, but you all can in the chat if you want. You know, what are those things that, gosh, you would just, it would just irk you if we shifted, changed, adapt. I don't know what it would be. And then to ask the question of, does it really matter? Like, does it matter about this or this or this? If what we're trying to do is reach a generation and a people who haven't experienced this amazing story we have to tell. I don't want us to be gatekeepers in a way that we are determining who has access to God. I want us to be border kind of framers and give structure to how we may communicate a particular version of the gospel, yes. But in no way do I want somebody to have contact with any of us or connect with us or have the courage to step into a sanctuary and experience gatekeeping or here's the rules to do this right. I want when folks to experience us to feel liberation the moment they get a vibe on what's happening in the space and step into a space and not even have the words, but to have the spirit move and go, ah, this is a place that, that understands and that welcomes the seeking. I want us to be a place where folks don't feel like they have to shout over the rest of us in order for Christ to hear them. I want to be in a place where, as the people do, encourage people to walk towards Christ. That we encourage the person, the people, in this case, the blind man who is seeking so loudly to know the healing, that we become the encouragers. It may not be our affliction. It may not be our seeking. It may not be the, from where we come, from the side of the street, 
It may not be our experience, but when we genuinely hear people seeking out this holy one and this holy experience, we are unapologetic in what we do and how we do it to say, yes, come on in, get up, go towards Christ, be the one who is healed and has faith. We've experienced it. We experience it over and over again, and we welcome you into this place. Because I don't want us to say, oh, by being here for so long, like so many of you have, that you have no role in what is going to happen. In fact, your role is to no longer be the ones actually who only are served. But we are the ones now who have been here so long that we have no choice but to serve and encourage others. And not with resentment, not with a, uh, a, a, a sense of loss at every moment, but with encouragement that the story we tell is one worth telling over and over and over again. And I feel that when we do that, while it may be difficult at times, that once we are all able to see, once we are all able to know, then we all experience this new life and healing that Christ offers us. I think sometimes it's difficult to see over the mountain onto the other side. And we know that not all of us, like Moses, will get to the promised land. But I do believe, I choose to believe that when we give up those things that hold us back from God and welcome others into our midst and welcome others' stories, that we all are more healed at the end of the day. There are no guarantees. There are There is no three-step plan that is going to say, if we do these three things, we're going to be X. There is going to be frustration along the way. There is going to be confusion. There is going to be our humanness spilled out all over the place in good and bad ways. But if we tell that story well, if we welcome those who are seeking, if we encourage and don't push back, if we don't make others scream over us and we listen for the seeking that is happening, I firmly believe that we as a particular community and we as this more justice-focused, faith, Christ-centered version of the gospel people, not just here, but through many congregations, that if we can do that, then the, the healing and the justice and liberation and the hope that we claim to believe in Christ that we claim as part of our tradition, that we claim to be resurrection people, then we'll actually experience that. I don't want to have to convince us that we're resurrection people and we need to take and live accordingly to that. But I do hope we'll all, as we move into post-pandemic life or whatever that time is going to look like, individually in your families and especially us as a church, that we acknowledge there are folks who are hurting. There are people who are seeking an understanding about the pain in the world and are seeking a way to be part of healing communities, not ones that are filled with, you know, just words of rainbows and cotton candy all the time, but a community that takes seriously the ways in which pain happens in the world and we don't turn away from it. We step into the fray, we speak truth to power, we put our bodies on the line, we risk 
And I think when we offer that in ways that are filled with empathy and are done with beauty, then others will come. They may not come when we want or how we want, but others will. And I would love to see us all be part of that new community in the future. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, for the spirit that has brought us into this space, the spirit that we say wants to challenge us, that we want to be challenged and pushed to be new people every day. And that same spirit that comforts us when we're just not able to. The same spirit that forces us to to yell louder than those around us. And that same spirit that reminds us that we can be encouragers, that we can encourage people to walk in faith. And finally, oh God, we thank you just for this time, these moments in our week to simply be community. We pray all this in the name of Christ and all God's people say, amen.